Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Good evening, church. Uh, the readings from Luke 3, 1 to 20. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Attia and Trachonitis, and Licinius tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Seopas. God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight and the rough way smooth and everyone will see the salvation of God. He then said to the crowds who came out to be baptised by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance and don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abram as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abram from these stones. Even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do? The crowds are asking him. He replied to them, the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none and the one who has food must do the same. The tax collectors also came to be baptised, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He told them, Don't collect any more than what you have been authorised. Some soldiers also questioned him, What should we do? He said to them, Don't take money from anyone by force or false accusations. Be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were waiting expectantly, and all of them were debating in their minds whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptise you with water, but one is coming who is more powerful than I. I'm not worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn up with fire that never goes out. Then, along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him about Herodias, his brother's wife, and about all the evil things Herod had done, added this to everything else, he locked John up in prison. Hey everyone, great to see you all here tonight. I've uh, been away for a little while and it is an absolute treat to uh, see you all again. Let Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we... Thank you so much for all that you have done for us, all that you have given us. We thank you for one another. We thank you for your word. And Father, we pray now as we come to look at this passage that uh, the things that we don't know, we ask that you would teach us. The things that we don't have, we ask that you would give us. And the things that we're not, we ask that you would make us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
One of the things I love is looking forward to something. I love having something good in the future that I know I am moving towards. I love something good that I can look forward to. You know those times when you were a kid and you were driving on like a long drive and it was just ages of road and trees and the occasional cow and just kilometers and kilometers and you were starving, you were busting and all you wanna do is stop and get something to eat and do your work. And, and you see up ahead, suddenly on the side of the road, a billboard. And as you get closer, you see on it is the universal symbol of salvation, the golden arches. And you think to yourself, yes, it's coming. I, it, it's, it's almost here, everything that I need so close. I love looking forward to stuff and having things coming, good things coming in the future. One of the things I love the most, I think, about going to the movies is watching the trailers. I think I like trailers more than I like movies. So I love the idea of looking forward to what's coming. But of course, we all know that not everything that we look forward to ends up being that great. All of us have had the experience where you've been looking forward to a thing and it turns out to be a real kind of disappointment, like a bit of a fizzer. Right? We've all had that where the thing we're looking forward to, it gets cancelled or it's not very good or they forget to put it in the bag. Like again, you know, you're in KFC drive through and you know, you're so looking forward to the chips because they're amazing and delicious and so you take the bag, you drive off, and as you're heading home, you think to yourself, I'll just have, I'll sneak myself a chip, who's gonna know? And so you have one, pop one in, and they've forgotten to put salt on them. Is you're like, oh, what is, this is disgusting. <laughs> what is this sliver of potato extract? This, what's even the point of eating it? You know, that disappointment and how powerful it can be. We all know what it's like. You know, you order clothes and they don't fit. You, you change friendship groups and they're just as horrible as the last group. You change schools and you know, like a fresh start and it's just as bad as the last one. You change jobs and the place where you turn up, everyone's just as idiotic and incompetent and immoral as the last place you worked. You change churches and everyone's just as hypocritical as the last place. You change churches and the preacher just preaches for just as long as the last guy. <laughs> you know what it's like. <laughs> what we're going to do here this afternoon in Luke chapter 3 is we're going to zoom in on John and his message as he prepared God's people for Jesus' arrival. They'd been looking forward to God's king coming for hundreds of years. And what we're going to see is what it looked like for God's people to get prepared for what they'd been looking forward to. And what I'm hoping that we'll see is that John's message back then is the same message that God has for us. And maybe even more than that, 
what I'm, I hope that we'll see is that the way people tried to avoid the message back then is the exact same way that people try and avoid it today. So we're in Luke chapter three, if you still have that open or if you accidentally closed it, Luke chapter three, and we're starting at verse one. And Luke starts this passage with a whole bunch of names, names of rulers, names of places, Tiberius, Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Tetrarch, Ituria and Trachonitis, all very fancy, very important sounding names, places. And part of the reason why Luke writes it like this is to underline that this all happened in real history, real people, real places at a real time. It's It's like another way that back in chapter one where he said the whole point of this is to help Theophilus so that he may know the certainty of the things about which he's been instructed. There's another reason too why Luke is doing this, and you might have even felt it while it was being read. You know, so verse one, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, and then all these important people, this important person was reigning, this important person was tetrarch, this important person was high priest, all these important people, And they're just the backdrop to the main show. They're just the support acts for the main event. None of those people matter. Here comes the main show. Here comes the main event. And what is it? What's the actually important thing? Well, verse 2, God's word came. That's what matters during the reign of the emperor of the Roman Empire, Tiberius, Caesar. You know what matters? Not him. What matters is God's word. And Luke crafts it like this to help us to see what matters. He puts it like this to relativize what we think matter, you know, like all these great ones to put them all in their proper place and in the proper perspective in light of what really matters. God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah. Now, we've already heard a lot about John uh, so far. We've seen his conception and how it was miraculous, not as miraculous as Jesus, right? The virgin conception, but still pretty miraculous. And now John's a grown up. And normally we call him John the Baptist. But here in Luke, Luke's not that interested in the baptizing per se. He's interested in what John preached. So verse three, he, John, went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it's written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. Luke, when he wants to help us to understand what John is doing and why it matters, he goes and quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. If you were here a few weeks ago, Tim was uh, preaching from Luke chapter 2 and explaining to us about how in the temple was Anna and Simeon and they were waiting for the consolation of Israel, the consoling of Israel, the comforting 
of Israel. That it was, it was talking about Isaiah chapter 40. Because God's people had been in exile. They'd been taken captive, conquered, shipped off to a foreign country. And they were captives there. And they had been conquered and moved out as a result of their sin. They, they had rebelled against the Lord and he punished them by removing them from their land, conquering them, taking them away. And they looked forward to the time when God would bring them home. And when he did, it would be a sign that their sins had been forgiven because they went into exile because of their sin. So when they come back, that means their sins have been dealt with. And so they're looking forward to this, this return from exile, this comfort, consolation, and they were waiting and looking forward to the Isaiah chapter 40 comfort. And so when Luke wants to help us understand what John's doing and why it matters, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. And the bit that he quotes from is right after the comfort part. What does, when that comfort comes, what will it look like? How will we know that it's happening? Well, verse four of Luke chapter three, quoting from Isaiah, he says, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Right? This is John. He's out in the wilderness and he's preaching. He's preparing the way. He's preparing the way for Jesus to arrive. Next week will be our final sermon in this opening series in Luke. We'll be back to Luke next year. And next week, Jesus will finally stride onto the stage. But for this week, John is preparing the way. And Isaiah says that he's preparing the way for the Lord. In other words, he's preparing the way for God. God the King is about to return to his people. And that's how Luke wants us to see this whole book. That, that's the lens from here on out. God, the king, is returning to his people. And how will he find them? What will they be doing? How will they respond to him? And so when the king returns, when, when God comes, well, you, you need to get prepared. You need to get ready. Because when God comes, salvation comes with him. Verse 6 and everyone will see the salvation of God. And also, when God comes, judgment comes with him too. Verse 9, even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Or verse 17, his winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he'll burn up with a fire that never goes out. And as you read this passage, it, it's easy to think that John is a doom and gloom preacher. That he's, he, he's a hellfire and brimstone preacher. And for sure, verse 9, verse 17, he is certainly spelling out that judgment is coming. 
But doom and gloom and judgment is not primarily what he was preaching. His message is, verse 3, the forgiveness of sins. Or verse 6, that everyone will see the salvation of God. Or verse 16, the baptism of the Spirit and of fire is coming. And, and more importantly, the baptizer of the Spirit is coming. Someone who is far greater than John, someone that John's not worthy to even untie his shoes, right? The job of the slave. John's not even worthy to do that. And then lastly, verse 18, what is John preaching? Well, he's preaching good news. He's preaching the gospel. He's not doom and gloom, hellfire and brimstone. He's preaching the good news of the forgiveness of sins. And he's telling them that judgment is coming so that they can avoid it. He said, like, sure, judgment's on its way, but here is the sufficient warning so that you can get it right and be in on the forgiveness. So you can get ready. But how do you get ready for God turning up? You don't just build a highway, you know, chop the mountains off, cut and fill, make it flat. That's not what you do. But what do you do? How do you prepare and get ready? What does it mean? Well, verse three, again, he went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's how you get ready. See, he's all about forgiveness. His message isn't judgment is coming and you're all lost. His message is, you don't have to be lost. God is coming to forgive you. And what do you need to do? Well, what you have to do is repent. And his baptism is a baptism that symbolizes repentance. You're about to meet God. He is coming to rescue you. He is coming to clean up the mess and get rid of everything that's rotten and useless and wrong. You're about to meet God. What should you do? The answer is repent. That's the appropriate thing to do when you meet God. Repenting just means to change your mind and then change how you live. That's what it means. And the repentance that John is talking about here is not some minor modification to your life. It's not just a three degrees to the left and then keep on straight. The repentance here is a complete turnaround, 180. Instead of heading that way, you start heading this way. It's not just a new way to live. It's not just a hobby that you would add on to your life. Repentance means that you say, the path of my life up until this present moment was wrong. I must turn my back on what I was doing and what I am doing and who I am. I must turn my back on all of that and acknowledge the errors and the faults 
and the failures and reject them. I, I have to say that I am wrong and I'm not going to go on living like that anymore. For most of us, for most people, repentance like this is too humiliating. It's too humbling to even contemplate. Like, I don't mind saying to you, I've made a few errors. You know, no one's perfect. I've had my ups and I've had my downs and I've made some mistakes. But to say that I have botched the whole thing, that my entire life up until this point has just been botchamania, most people are too self-righteous to be able to talk like that. It's very confronting, the old repentance. And so back to Luke, in John's time, people tried to avoid the whole repentance thing. And Luke records for us two ways that people tried to avoid the message. And what they did back then, is the same thing that people do now. The first way they avoided the message is by focusing on baptism. When it comes to baptism, the mistake that people often make is getting confused between the sign and the thing that the sign is pointing to, the sign and the thing signified. Signs are only important because they point to the actual thing. And it's the actual thing that's most important. The thing is more important than the sign that points to the thing. So you're on the long drive and you're starving and you're busting and you see the billboard with the universal sign of salvation on it. And as you get a bit closer, you see that the sign says, next Macca's two kilometers. You're like, great, this is, that's an important, that, that's a glorious sign. It's pointing to something even more important, even more wonderful, right? There's a Macca's down the road. Now, imagine that you were driving along and you saw the sign on the side of the road and you pulled over up next to it. You put the window down and leaned out and said, Hi, uh, yeah, just a, uh, a large quarter pounder meal and uh, medium chicken meal and uh, a medium cheeseburger meal. That's all, thanks. Like, you absolute goose, right? That's, that's the sign. The sign is not the thing. It's the sign that's pointing to the thing. The Maccas is still two kilometres down the road. The sign is not the thing. And in the same way, baptism is a sign that points to a reality, but the sign is not the thing. The symbol is not the reality. The sign is not the thing signified. The sign points to the important thing. And we get it mixed up when we think that the sign is the reality. The reality is having your sins washed clean. The reality is being a new creation in Christ. The reality is repentance. And then baptism is a sign of all of that. 
And people are always getting it mixed up and confused and thinking that the sign is the most important thing rather than the reality that the sign is pointing to. And so John, he preached a baptism of repentance. And so then the people start to come to be baptized, just like he preached, just like he asked them to. And so therefore, when they arrive, what does he say to them? Well, verse seven, he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? That's odd, isn't it? Right? He said to them, be baptized. And so they all turn up to do what he asked them to. And therefore, he just yells at them, calls them a brood of vipers. And he does that because he is the Isaiah chapter 40 voice in the wilderness preparing the people. You kind of think to yourself, what's going on? This is what he asked them to do. And as soon as they turn up, he just yells at them. He's a bit of a prickly pear, this John. So here's, here's what's happening. John wants to get people ready for God's arrival. And what we see here is he wants to get people ready by repenting. And the baptism was a symbol, a sign that you were repenting. It was a baptism of repentance. But the people who were coming, they just wanted the baptism part without the repenting bit. They wanted the sign without the thing that the sign was pointing to, the repentance. And if you just have the sign without the thing that the sign is pointing to, then what you have is empty. You've got nothing. That's why he says, verse 8, therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. Because they didn't repent. They didn't change their heart. They didn't change their mind. They didn't change their life. They just wanted to go through the ritual. And so he says, you brood of vipers. You're just a bunch of snakes. And you might have slithered out here into the wilderness. You might have slithered in to the River Jordan, but you're going to come out still a snake. Nothing will have changed. He says, you need to change your very nature. You need to turn around on the inside. You need to change the way that you're living. Baptism is just a symbol of that. It's a sign that points to all of that. And it's still the case today. There's probably millions of people who have been baptized without any repentance at all. Many people will go and turn up to meet God thinking that they're going to be okay because they've done the ritual, because they filled out the forms, because, because they got done. People keep getting confused between the sign and the thing that the sign is pointing to, the symbol and the reality, and then they're not the same thing. You know how sometimes you're at the shops and they'll have like a little kind of kiosk where you can give to a charity 
And if you give, then they'll give you like a, a badge or a, like a ribbon that you can wear that kind of says to everyone that you've contributed to the cancer council or whatever. Imagine you're at the shops and you just walk straight past the little stall. You don't stop, you don't contribute, you walk straight past. But outside in the car park, in the gutter, you find one of those badges. And imagine you kind of pick it up and you put it on and walk around with it. Does putting it on and walking around mean that you have contributed in any way to the cause? No, you just found it in the gutter and you put it on. And in the same way, baptism is, if you just have the badge and put it on, it doesn't mean that the reality has happened to you. If you just put on the badge, it doesn't mean that you've repented. It doesn't mean that your sins have been forgiven. It doesn't mean that you're okay with God now. None of those things. It just means this one time you got wet and maybe you said some magic words. That's all it means. And neither of those things matter at all when it comes to God. Now, of course, it's great when the symbol and the reality line up, of course, right? It's great when the sign matches the thing that it's pointing to, right? It's great when, when the symbol and the reality, when you're baptized and you've repented, that's great. When the inward and the outward line up, brilliant. But the reality is always vastly more important than the symbol. What matters is that you repent. Repenting is infinitely more important than being baptized. Now, as Trav mentioned earlier, later on in a few weeks or so, we'll be having Baptism Sunday. And that's gonna be a great thing, right? It's a chance for people to display on the outside something of what's been happening on the inside. It'll be a great encouragement to them. It'll be a great encouragement to us. Brilliant thing. So long as what's happening is that the outward and the inward are lining up the sign and what it's pointing to. And so if one way to avoid the message is to focus on the external ritual, then the other way to avoid what John wanted them to do is to think that what mattered was having the right pedigree. They were sure that they were right with the Lord because they were Abraham's ancestors, God's chosen people. You see it in the second half of verse eight. John says, and don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. <laughs> don't pride yourself on your Abrahamic pedigree. God could use the rocks if he wanted to. And people do this same thing today too. People walk around and they say, oh, I'm Church of England. I'm Baptist, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Orthodox, I'm Catholic, I've been baptised, I'm a, I'm a signed up 
member of St. Flossie's Church down the road. My grandfather was a warden at St. Beryl's Church. So we're all good with God. Me and him, we're, we're fine. My grandma was a Christian and so we're right with him. We, we, say, we say grace before we eat, so we're okay. We, I, got, I went to a Christian school, so I'm gonna be fine. I teach at a Christian school, so I'm okay. I preach in an Anglican church, so I'm gonna be okay with God. If, if he was not impressed with these guys being Jewish, then why would I think that he'll be impressed because I'm an Anglican. At least the Jews were his chosen people. Us Anglicans are not. They tried to avoid the message by these methods, but it's the changed behavior, the changed life that comes from a changed mind and a changed heart, that's what matters, that's what's important. It was repentance that John was looking for. And so he said, produce fruit consistent with repentance, verse eight. So having warned them about what not to do, in verse 10, the crowd then asks him, well then what then should we do? If that's how not to repent, what do we do? And he speaks to three different groups. He speaks to the crowds, he speaks to the tax collectors, and he speaks to the soldiers. And to each group, maybe surprisingly, what he talks about with each of them is their material possessions. So verse 11, he replies to the crowd, the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. And the one who has food must do the same. Share what you have. Don't keep it all for yourself. Love your neighbour as yourself in concrete, practical, material ways. And then the tax collectors, they ask him, and in verse 13, he says to them, don't collect any more than what you have been authorised. Don't cheat people. Don't rip people off. Love your neighbour as yourself in concrete, practical, material ways ways. And then some of the soldiers even ask, what should they do? And he says to them, verse 14, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation. Be satisfied with your wages. I don't use your position of power for extortion and corruption and coercion. Be content with what you've got. It's quite striking how it's all financial. It's about how you treat your neighbour in light of your material possessions. I think that's quite striking. And then notice too in verse 19, Luke kind of loops back to the start as we're told that John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, about Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he'd been doing. And instead of repenting, Herod had John locked up in prison. There's lots of ways to avoid the message of repentance. And if you're powerful, you can just lock people up. Outward signs are good. 
so long as they line up with internal realities. Baptism is good so long as it lines up with internal realities. The, the external show is of no significance. The external is important, right? You change your mind, you change your heart, and then you change how you live, right? The things that you do externally, that's important. But the external show is of no significance. Around here, we talk about the vital signs of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And the first one, most important one, is the coconut, faithfully following Jesus. And a key part of that is being a quick and continual repenter. Because faith and repentance are a package deal. They go together. When you turn away from whatever else you were kind of trusting in, whatever else your life was like, you turn away from that and you turn towards trusting Jesus. They go together. And, you know, maybe you're sitting here and you realise, maybe for the first time, that you've never actually done this before. You've not actually said to God, you know what, I'm not trusting in external signs and rituals and symbols. I'm not trusting in my pedigree or what my family did or what they do. I'm repenting and I'm turning back and I'm doing it myself. Maybe you've not ever really actually done that before. Maybe you're here and you've kind of realised that you've walked away a little bit from Jesus over the last little while and it, it's time to come back and you've realised now is the time. This repentance, this, this changing your mind and changing how you live, it's, it's more than just how you begin the Christian life. It's how you continue it as well. Repentance is just normal, everyday Christianity. Repenting's not something you just do once at the start, then you never have to do it again. It's the thing we're constantly doing. And so I wonder, what is it that, that you need to repent of? Where is it in your life that God is sort of pointing out to you Maybe here's a thing you need to turn away from. Where is it where you know your life is not as honouring to him as it could be? Where is it where you know your life is not lining up with what God's word says? Where is it that you need to change your mind and then change how you live? Maybe it's an aspect, a part of your life. Maybe it's your whole life. But where is it? What is it where you need to repent, right? What about us? Have we repented or are we just a bunch of snakes slithering around, trusting in symbols and rituals, trusting in pedigree of the people who came before us, trusting in our attendance at all the things the external show is of no significance. It does not matter. And so the command of God 
through his prophet John is a command for each one of us. The command is to repent for the forgiveness of sins and then to produce fruit consistent with repentance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for John and his preaching. Father, we thank you for his clarity. Father, we ask for each one of us in this room, no matter where we're at at this exact moment in time, Father, help us all to be repenters, that we would repent for the forgiveness of sins. And Father, help each one of us to produce fruit consistent with repentance. And Father, we pray that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.